Hello and welcome to Dipsomania, the podcast about booze and cocktail culture. I'm Jake, and in this, episode 5, Lance and I tackle a couple Manhattans, discuss our favorite sweet vermouth, and gripe about speakeasy and mixology affectation. Enjoy! Shall, shall, shall we begin? Yes. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> this is the, we're so high tech. We are so good at our job. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing a uh, Manhattan Rocks, or Rock. I noticed. Um, which is generally actually how I have them. Is that wrong? I don't think so at all. Um, like, I don't do Martini Rocks, but I do a Manhattan Rock. Yeah. And really... I do like to think of Manhattans as whiskey martinis. Normally, and I also put a cherry in it, but I didn't do that this time either. It's just straight ahead, two ounces Eagle Rare, and an ounce of Lillet Rosé. Uh-huh. Uh, which is a less sweet alternative, so it's it's uh, it's kind of a dry martini mm-hmm. or uh, Manhattan. I can't be drunk already, can I? <laughs> you could be. Mm. Um, and any bitters? No, no bitters. I, I was in a rush. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I made, I made a bad, I made a poor d- judgment choice there. I think if you're, even if you're in a rush, you should always add bitters. I certainly I, think so. I could, I could do it after the fact, but then it would be like a bitter floater. I don't yeah. Know, is that, I don't, that didn't sound. I do that all the time, but I, if you, if you enjoy your drink the way it is, you drink your drink. Actually, it could use something. Um, I'm I'm going to say the the Lillet Rosé is not not the sweet vermouth of choice for uh, anything. Actually, yeah, because it is it's rather dry. It is quite dry. I actually like it in a martini. So really, sort, sort of a pink martini. Mm. Um, so my Manhattan, since we're talking about Manhattans, uh, is two and a half ounces of the Bullet Rye. One ounce of the Dolan Rouge Sweet Vermouth. And then a couple of squirts of this uh, Workhorse Rye Coffee and Almond Cream Bitters. And it says on the thing that you have to shake it first. Hmm. Because it's almond cream. It's like real cloudy. What is almond cream? Is it just, is it like oja with cream? Well, I, I think it's just mashed up almonds. So almond oh. milk. Whatever, as if as if it were almond milk, but it's actually almond cream. Yeah, because it's not as strained, perhaps. Thick, thick almonds, maybe yeah. extra thick almonds. When you squeeze the almond, it's the part that's on the top. And then I gave myself two Luxardo cherries with lots of the syrup still on there. So this this is a rather luscious Manhattan I have. I think you're I think you're doing it right. I think I'm doing it half assed. Well, I'll I'll uh, see if I can correct this. Second second time through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like the Manhattan because it gives you a good platform to play with different bitters. And there, mm. there are so many bitters in this world these days. There are almost too many bitters. I will just say that. Yeah. There's 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 a buttfuck load of bitters. And I I have <laughs> that is I've the, probably got that is the exact classification of the I've level like, of bitters. I have like I probably have three dozen different kinds. Mm-hmm. I have uh, like four orange bitters alone. I've got the uh, 
the Regans. Yeah. I have the version from uh, Bitter Truth. Mm-hmm. I have a another version uh, that is uh, cream, orange cream oh. bitters, um, which does take it makes things taste like a creamsicle. It's in, it's a interesting that's fun al- alternative. Yeah. Uh, and then I've got one that's kind of a spicy orange bitters that a friend made. And then you have my blood orange bitters. So that's five, <laughs> five, five orange bitters alone. Yeah. And I, I think I sent you all three of my kind, right? So The whiskey bitters, the uh, blood orange bitters, and the garden bitters. Yeah. Is that correct? Yep. The super weird garden bitters. Um, mm. But the whiskey bitters are also blood orange. So that's six that you're up to. <laughs> <laughs> and that's only the orange bitters. Right. <clears throat> Not counting. So the only bitters I've attempted to make on my own are uh, coffee jalapeno bitters. Mm. Um, How did that work? Not. I haven't found anything that, that they work in yet. Uh, I think they're really particular. Um, and I may have overemphasized the jalapeno and underemphasized the coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was an experiment. Seems... And I want to I want to talk about odd experiments later. Okay. <laughs> Is this for our personal conversation? No, no. I don't want to. I don't want to jump off the bitters wagon yet. Right. But uh, so I, I did. Yeah, I got these weird almond bitters because I kickstarted the workhouse rye people mm-hmm. that are out in your lovely town of San Francisco. So they sent me a couple weird ones, like small batches. Hmm. And uh, this one's neat. It's uh, not, like, super strong on either flavor, the coffee or the almond. And I saw um, a recipe for something that calls for basically a shot of bitters. And, and they were using um, – so that's an ounce of bitters. Yeah. If I'm, <laughs> if I'm correct in my assumption of what they meant by a shot, <laughs> that's what I mean by a shot. And I, I, I would tell you what the, what the recipe was and what the I'll, – I'll cheat and I'll look it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it, it's that, I don't know that I could drink an entire shot of bitters, even in a, even in a mixed drink. I have had some pretty bitters heavy drinks. I don't know if it adds up to a full ounce. I think the one that I had that was just a bucket load of Angostura turned out really nice. Mm. It was very enjoyable. I think that's the one that is generally used as Angostura. I don't. I think um, because it's readily available and you can get the giant bottles of that. Uh, yeah, the recipe I'm looking at. This is an, actually an old recipe from 2009. The Trinidad Trinidad Sour. Mm. That is one ounce Angostura bitters, one ounce Orgeat, three quarter ounce fresh lemon juice, and a half ounce of uh, Rittenhouse Rye. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it looks chocolatey in the picture. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I assume the bitters are, are going to make it a bit cloudy. And then shaken with the lemon juice, it has a kind of a nice foamy head. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a bad-looking drink. I I would try it. I'm not a big Orgeat fan. Frankly. Really? Yeah. I like almonds, but I don't really like almondy things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Orgeat is sort of more like a marzipan flavor. Yeah, not not my favorite. Um, maybe in a mixed drink. I, I think I shy away from it because I don't like marzipan. Right. Uh, but maybe I should give it a try. You uh, never know. 
Well, I certainly recommend the Small Hands brand. Mm-hmm. They make really good orgeat, which is also very fun because it separates in the bottle. So, <laughs> How's that fun? <laughs> I don't know. It just looks really neat. It's sort of like a lava lamp with the... Okay. Uh, you know, the almond milk is sort of iridescent. Mm-hmm. So. I'll pick some up. It, it, I, you know, I, I I should have some of everything, right? You never know who's, what what someone's going to want. And isn't there? Um, well, I mean, orja you only really need if you're interested in making yourself tiki drinks. Like, but isn't isn't there? I'm thinking of one that has egg white in it as well. Can't think of it offhand. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cheat again. We should. Should we know these things in in our heads? Is this something we should just? Oh, that's that's the thing. Yeah. Um, it's all about helping people, but it's also about helping ourselves. Yes. Uh, and appearing to know more than we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see the Aruba cocktail, which is gin, lemon juice, orgeat, white curacao, and egg white. White curacao. White curacao. I guess that's Jeez. just dry curacao. White curacao. I don't know. Uh, this is from one of those sites that just has a list of stuff which doesn't tell you anything about it. Uh, oh, oh, it's probably just contrasted with blue curacao. So it's probably like the Bowles brand plain curacao. Mm. So that's what I would guess. That seems like a good guess to me. But swinging back now to odd ingredients. Uh-huh. So I went to uh, Benjamin Cooper, which is a new-ish bar here in the city. There um, was a bar, a tiny, tiny bar called Big, uh, that got a, a, a fairly uh, happy and large following. It was uh, two gentlemen um, who started it on their own and uh, they were, it was kind of more um, experimental. You would go in and, and I don't believe there was a menu. You would just basically leave, leave yourself in their hands and they uh-huh. would make you things. Uh, the building as is the habit here in San Francisco got purchased and then they got kicked out. You know, you have to pay yeah. too much or something. So uh, they have graduated to Benjamin Cooper, which is on the second floor of the G Hotel downtown, um, and kind of hard to find if you don't know that it's on the second floor of that hotel, because you'll go into the hotel and there are no signs. There's no signs on the streets. There's no way to know that it's there. Yeah, that would be impossible. Uh, there, <laughs> there's, an, there's an open door on the side street mm-hmm. that if you look in the door, there's literally a piece of paper that says Benjamin Cooper is upstairs. Really? <laughs> and if you go into the hotel lobby and you ask them nicely, they will direct you up the stairs. And again, you go up the stairs You and the, and the literal instructions were, and then look ahead and you'll see a door. And that's, that is the bar. Okay. So, uh, it's a lovely bar. It's a small, again, a small space. Um, and, uh, I, I, I I'm just going to be perfectly honest. I, we had two drinks uh, the first one I enjoyed rather a lot. The second one I did not. And they do tend on their menu to be challenging and putting ingredients either you've never heard of or things that you probably wouldn't normally want to put into a cocktail. Okay. 
So if you're of a curious mind and you're a bit adventuresome, then it, it it's probably a good experience. But um, in retrospect, like at the time, I thought, well, this will be fun, and it, it's certainly different, and I like to explore. Um, but in retrospect, I think I think it's a case of trying too hard, as opposed to coming up with good drinks. They're coming up with weird drinks. Okay. For example. I'm, I'm one curious I, to know what you liked and didn't like. The one that I had uh, that I did not like uh, was called Odd Bedfellows. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, – so take a martini. So you got your gin, your dry vermouth, and your bitters. Now add to that absinthe and pickled mustard seed. What? <laughs> Yeah, so I, I was I'm I so I looked at it and I thought, hmm, I have no idea what that would taste like. Like is it? And I'm assuming you know you put it on the menu because you must have tasted it and said, ooh, this is good. We should offer this to other people. Well, I mean but, that like sort of takes it into like dirty martini territory, except the absinthe makes no sense. I, I think it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, in my mind, I'm thinking, is this like a pickleback? For a martini, and then right. they put it together. Yeah. Uh, but two things were askance. One, as you lift it to your nostrils, yes, that there's a as you would expect, there's a lot of scents going on there, mm-hmm. and it's and it smelled sour. It, it didn't smell. It, the aroma was not floral. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't appeal to your senses. No. And then drinking it, basically all I really tasted was the the pickled uh, mustard seed. That's funny. Um, I wouldn't, and, I wouldn't so, think to combine that with absinthe at all. Although it, it feels sort of Scandinavian influence to me. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll hand it to them in that it's it was well-named. Odd Bedfellows was certainly what it was. Yeah. A lot of things that shouldn't go together and, in fact, don't go together. <laughs> um, and I, I I sat there knowing that they have a reputation and that I should be a connoisseur and I shouldn't, you know. But I didn't. I really didn't like it. And, and again, as I thought about it, I'm like, why do, did someone like it? Or is this a challenge? Mm-hmm. And, they, and they're like seeing who's going to order this. So did you ask at all i didn't i did not okay i I was i was a little bit i was a little bit embarrassed because i thought you know these people have a reputation and this should be Mm -hmm. good and it's not well are are they approachable at all like is it a super busy place or like could you have chatted uh, them up it was a little busy that night they were doing a a martini class uh at a table behind us they had some uh women in and i don't know what you do in a martini class. We didn't watch. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming it's you add gin and vermouth together and you have a martini. I'm fairly uh, certain that's all it is, but it, it's a reason for a group of people to drink martinis. Yeah, and they had a variety of gins, so maybe. But it didn't seem to last. I, I don't want to. I don't want to judge, but I'm going to judge. <laughs> I'm totally going to judge. And the first drink, I, I, I'm I'm afraid the, the second drink wiped the first one completely out of my head. I can't right. even what the first one was that I did enjoy. And looking down the menu, 
you know, they they're they're a full bar. You can order whatever you want. Sure. And we ordered off the menu. Um, but so is this an envelope that needs to be pushed? I mean, do we need to <laughs> do we need to go this far afield? So this actually overlaps really well with something I wanted to talk about, and that's uh, I just got the new Dead Rabbit cocktail book. Mm-hmm. Dead Rabbit is a, a cocktail bar in New York City somewhere. I don't really understand New York City, so I just know it's there. Mm-hmm. You know, I collect these books compulsively. So I actually ordered this like months ago and it just finally came uh, because it was just released. And uh, what I'm realizing between this book and the Death and Company mm-hmm. book, which is another New York City cocktail bar. And a lovely book, by the way. A lovely book. It's a fantastic book. But the thing about that book, as well as this Dead Rabbit book, is it's like all the rep- recipes have some, like, bizarre tincture or infused syrup or something. Mm-hmm. And the the pattern I'm recognizing is that that's what makes an awesome cocktail bar these days. Is like, you do the work to, like, make these specialty homemade ingredients. Like, you infuse monkey shoulder scotch with something and, like, use that for one cocktail on your menu. Yeah. And, like, that really doesn't make any sense for home bartender types. Right. Like, if you're going yeah. to make an infusion like that, you have to be, know that you're going to drink it. And ideally, you'd be able to drink it multiple ways and not just have it in one recipe. Mm-hmm. And even if you loved it, like, say you go to the bar and you get this recipe for uh, something and it, it includes, you know... Um, <laughs> I can't even think of the insane, like, you know, mint, julep, tea, tincture, infusion thing, uh-huh. right? So you go and you get the juniper tea and you, you steep that in coffee grounds and then you filter that out and you add some bay leaf and whatever else. And yeah, yeah. How, how, how much, how, even if you love it, right. are you going to use a whole jar of that stuff? Exactly. So looking at like, Three recipes. I just opened the book randomly. First one has eau de thé syrup, which is on page 80 recipe. It's what? Eau de thé. Like tea. Yeah, T-H-E with a little acute accent. Um, And then on the facing page is another recipe that features eucalyptus tincture. Which I'm sure is super useful. Koalas will love it. Yeah. And then turn the page and you have something with chamomile tincture, pineapple cordial. Um, Yeah. So it's it's how how useful are these ingredients? And like, why would I, why would I as sort of a home bartender ever be motivated to try that? And truth be told, I actually have made some of these crazy deg- ingredients. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. I'm, I'm that type of person. But are they still sitting in your fridge? Did you use them? Did you use them once? Well, yeah. What I, happened? It, it depends, is the answer to that. Like, I mean, I made my own grenadine, and it turns mm-hmm. out I don't make any drinks that use grenadine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I... 
following your example from some weeks past, I bought some pomegranates. I was going to try my juicer and do that, like do that thing. Yeah. And and luckily for me, my juicer totally sucks at juicing pomegranates. It just basically munged them up, and I don't. And, and the pomegranates, I don't think they're ripe yet because they were the the seeds were sort of pink and not red yet. Oh yeah. Inside. No. So I think we're early in the season or something. So I saved myself from making something that I would, like you said, I probably would not use right. as far as I know. I mean, it's it's still lasting. Like, I still have it, but, like, I don't, I can't imagine. Like, I look for recipes with grenadine, and I was like, no, I don't want to make that. Uh, <laughs> so so is it a question? So I'm going to say... On the on on behalf of the bars, mm-hmm. they they need to separate themselves. Well, they yeah, to... it's their differentiator for sure, right. and uh, you know it makes perfect sense from the bars' perspective. But you know, because for clients who you know guests who go to the bar, um, they want a unique drink, you know, like mm-hmm. e- even if it's a Manhattan, but it's you know black tea infused rye whiskey, and like it's a whole different thing. That's a good experience. Yeah. Hopefully. So maybe the maybe the books are just for entertainment and showing off and and they don't expect you to make tobacco tincture at home? That's what I'm wondering. Like is it just sort of posturing and look what I can do? Yes. I'm going to answer for them. I'm going to say that's probably part of it. Mm-hmm. And also it is experimentation. I mean everybody you can you can make you, if you're looking for, I'm assuming, if you're looking for your uh, your angle, yeah, you can be the guy who's like, you know, the Japanese guy who knows how to shake a, a cocktail just the special way that everybody claims is like the best shake. In quarter the turn, quarter turn. Yeah, because the ice, I don't know. I don't know what that, I I tend to not think that. There's some made up science behind yeah, it. Yeah, no. I don't think <laughs> um, or, or you can be, you know, the, the tincture the tincture guy or you, you can be the tiki guy or you can be the so I, I, you know a lot of it is just marketing and i understand that mm-hmm. um but i i kind of agree and, and particularly in in when i look at the, the that experience i had this week that I, that I just didn't enjoy it and and like am am i wrong or are they wrong like did did someone enjoy that or is it just like this will be a hoot to put on the menu, and people no one will order it, but we'll we'll put it on the menu. I have to assume somebody there really likes that drink. <sighs> well, it ain't me. Yeah, uh, I now know. If I if I look at all of the experiences that I've had at bars of that type, where they are doing the where they are doing specialized ingredients, I generally like them all. Like I'm impressed with them, and they do taste good, and the balance is lovely. Yeah. And, but I'm wondering if if we're getting to the point where people are trying so hard to come up with something new that they're really jumping off the deep end. I don't think that's like a necessary result of where the whole cocktail scene is going. I think mm-hmm. it, I think it's likely to be happening, but like I don't I don't feel like, you know, this is how cocktail culture is driving people to do this. Mm-hmm. Because I mean the whole start of this modern era of cocktail culture, if you want to call that, is um, just going back to pre-prohibition classic cocktail recipes. Yep, yep. So we've talked about the milk and honey. Sasha Petrowski sort of kicked that off in New York, and mm-hmm. it's it's been running since then. Those are all very simple recipes, and 
they can be made excellent with excellent ingredients and excellent execution. Yeah. And I, I, for the for the home bartender, the advice would be be happy with what you – I mean if you want to try stuff, why wouldn't you? But mm-hmm. what you really need to, to concentrate on I think is um, making the classics well. Yep. Um, having the right tools is, is really mm-hmm. important. I – for me – so I, used, I had the uh, – as, as an example, I had the, the fruit reamer. Yeah. Your, you know, you're reading yeah. your fruit. Yeah. Uh, and it was like the, the wooden thing and yep. that, it, get, it gets everywhere. Yeah. And then I got one of the Mexican, just the, the, the clampy one. Squeeze ones. press, yeah. So much better. Like the, the, the seeds don't come out. It's one squeeze. It's done. Mm-hmm. You, you can squeeze it directly into the measuring thing without like going all – like I used to have to like – it would go into the shaker I'd, because it was all over the place. So – there is a tip for those juicers, though. For the reamer or the, the clamper? clamper, the squeeze press. Yeah. Because of the shape of the cup, people mm-hmm. are tempted to put the half of the fruit into the cup so that the flat edge is, the cut edge is facing up, and then you lower the squeeze press on. That'll mm-hmm. send juice all over the place. Yeah. You have to notice the holes are in the bottom of the cup. You want to put your half piece of lime face down, cut edge down, over those holes, and then the pressing action sort of basically inverts the half. It, yeah, it squeezes it inside out, so the insides come out, the insides being to the delicious juices. And you get so much juice out of one of those juicers. It's, a, it is, it's amazing, and it's so simple, and they're cheap as well. Yes, and so, they come in all sizes for all the different citrus fruits. I just use the yellow, the lemon. That's the one the- I have. That's for the, the lemons and the limes. And then I have my big stand press for larger yes. fruits. Yeah, I've, so I've got the, I have a juicer, but it's only for citrus. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, it's not for pomegranates. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't really use it anymore. I used to use it because I would buy, well, I did use it when I made the lime cordial. Uh-huh. That, was a, that was a fuck ton of limes to that go was, through. That was like two dozen limes or something. It was way too many limes. Yeah. A lot of limes. So that was, you know, was like, you know, you it's mechanized. It's electric. It's easy to clean. If, if you're gonna if you're gonna make lime cordial, <laughs> I recommend spending the 150 dollars to get this electric uh-huh. Rebel citrus juicer. Otherwise, probably not. Yeah. And just get like a juicer juicer if you like mm-hmm. juice. I assume that they work the same way. Like I, I don't know why I got a specialized citrus juicer when I could have just got a juicer and juiced all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Well, I don't know if those things work. That well the rhubarb, for citrus, rhubarb juicers, yeah. And celery like, juicers. Those those are the ones that like grind everything up and separate the pulp from the juice and like all that stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, probably not. It's not my I've scene. Never, it's not my scene. Uh, no, but you know, it could be if you wanted to add juices of mm-hmm. various weirdness to your cocktails. Like you could do uh, a chinar with rhubarb, with with with. So it's rhubarb artichoke. Deliciousness. <laughs> no idea. What, there's, but there's a rhubarb one too, right? Uh, there is. I'm not thinking of the name, but we talked about it when we talked about Amari. Yeah, I, can, I can see the label, um, but I can't think of the name either. Now, as long as we're talking about tools, I did want to learn more about this uh, Jackson Cannon bar knife that yeah. you have. Yeah. I mostly got it because I knives are the other thing I collect sort of compulsively. Mm. And is it worth... So it, I see it's... Around 80 bucks. Yeah. I got it on sale. 
because otherwise I wouldn't allow myself to buy it. But and it has a it has a patent pending, so it's a patented <laughs> knife. It's super special. Yeah. So basically, it's got like a, a broken off tip, right? Like it's it's a very blunt tip. So the description goes into like, well, it's like it's it's like this, so that you can like notch your lemon wheels and stuff like that. And like, I don't know if that really makes sense as a justification for the design. But I think the design is neat, and it feels mm-hmm. really good in my hand, mm-hmm. and it's good and sharp, and I like it a lot. Okay. It's it's a fancy knife, and I, I like having fancy knives. We're about at the halfway point. Should we, uh, How's your drink? My drink is almost to the bottom. Mine is mostly water. Okay. Um, I recommend you use bitters this time. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it upright. I'm not gonna be in a rush. All right, so um, Manhattan Part Two, and we'll be right back. Alrighty. All right, this variant is uh, again Eagle Rare because I had to finish. I don't have to finish off the bottle, but I could finish off the bottle uh, with uh, Carpano Antica and. Uh, a local store of mine had a little bottle of sour cherry juice mm-hmm. from Turkey. Mm-hmm. So I've got a, I've got a quarter ounce of sour cherry juice as well as uh, Miracle Mile sour cherry bitters. So. Uh, so I did basically the same. Two and a half bullet rye, one Dolan Rouge, and then I changed the bitters to the Cocktail Punk morning grapefruit Mm. Uh, so the morning grapefruit flavor is based on his memory of like people would put sugar on a grapefruit in the morning and then douse it with Angostura bitters and eat the Mm. grapefruit you know with the fancy serrated grapefruit spoon Mm -hmm. that way I'd never heard of that but um, apparently it was a thing and so this is like an aromatic grapefruit, aromatic bitters sort of base, but blended with the grapefruit bitters. So it's citrusy and sort of aromatic, like an Angostura. Wow, that's super fancy. It's 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 good to know bitter makers. <laughs> <laughs> bitter people. Bitter people are always the best people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you probably have more bitters than I do, just judging by the, uh, and and you seem more familiar with them too, because I basically look at my shelf of bitters and I'm like, celery, no, <laughs> grapefruit, no. Uh, I do have wormwood bitters, mm-hmm. which uh, I haven't, I put those in martinis in the, on occasion yeah. and they're kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but it, it sounds like you're, you're, you're way far off the map. Bitter-wise. Well, I mean... Do you collect them? Like, if you see a new bitters, are you going to just pick it up regardless? No, I'm not, actually. Okay. Like, I've resisted that because uh, I think the Bitterman's brand has so many that I want to try, but they're large bottles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I don't need that. Because I have some other brands that also came in large bottles, and I've had those for years. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have the same problem. I've got uh, Chinese bitters that are – it's basically five ounces of Chinese bitters. And mm-hmm. I really 
haven't found anything again that, that it, it they're kind of overwhelming. Right. So I haven't found anything that is it it's a good accent for, and I steer away from them, and I probably should figure out what what I can do with them. But you know, yeah. you at least when I'm testing what what I want to throw in, I take a sniff first to see what the what the aroma is going to be, mm-hmm. and then I'm like, no, that doesn't put me in mind of the thing that I want right now. So what I do with bitters to figure out what they are and how they work is uh, soda water, mm-hmm. but like. Lots, lots of the bitters, and then top it with soda water, and that lets you sort of taste how it will taste when it's blended with something. Because if you just try to taste bitters straight, they're overwhelming, and your mouth is going to be wrecked. And so, when you're tasting it with the seltzer, is does it remind you of something, and you know what it's going to be good for, or do you have something in mind prior to tasting it? More the first part, I think. So it puts you in mind of, oh, this would be good in a... Right. So, so, like, you do the whole sort of tasting thing, and, like, you get some in your mouth, and you swish it around, and you let some air in there and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And just see where your mind goes. It's like, oh, well, this I could see working in an old-fashioned or something. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you know, just from the brief description of it like your chinese bitters i'd probably re- be really curious to see if it would work in like a rum old fashioned mm. and i as we've talked about i'm i'm not i don't really have rum i'm not a rum guy i'm i'm making an effort to try more rum and be exposed to more rum because you enjoy it or because you feel like it's part of your vocabulary that you haven't practiced enough uh, both. Because mm. I know there's a vast sort of world of rum. And it seems like a lot of people, the trajectory is like through whiskey and into rum. Mm. And also things like mezcal. Every, everybody's like first sort of, <laughs> it's actually a weird sort of circle because people will start drinking like sweet drinks. like. Mm-hmm. Which are often rum-based, but like yes. just clear rum. And then as they sort of, their palate matures and stuff, they'll move into things like whiskey and gin, which are sort of parallels to me. Like some people go really gin-sided, some people go really whiskey-sided. I embrace the entire panoply. <laughs> yeah, I got, so, so vodka is the uh, kindergarten version of gin. Yeah. I'm not I don't know what the kindergarten version of whiskey is. I think it's like the clear rum and or the spiced rum. Oh, okay. So like Which is sweet. Yeah. So Captain Morgan's and Sailor Jerry, I think, is like what you start out with. And then you graduate from that into whiskey. Mm. I think it was well, for me it was that whiskey class that uh helped me understand whiskey and also helped me understand the idea that your palate doesn't have to match somebody else's palate. Mm-hmm. I, I, I tend to, in life, think that there's a right way and a wrong way and that I need to learn the right way. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then that class was like, no, there's there, no. If, if you taste wet paper, that's what you taste. Right. People don't necessarily taste wet paper. They taste avocado or you know whatever the did you watch is. did you Did you watch the documentary about the guys taking the – sommelier test i haven't 
It's I've not seen it. It's excellent, but most of all, it's super hilarious for like the blonde preppy douche guy. <laughs> His thing is the descriptor of freshly opened tennis balls. <laughs> That's what he tastes. That I think it's more on the nose. That's like he thought of that phrasing for that particular mm-hmm. sense memory. Mm-hmm. And like the second he said it, I, I was like, I know exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I have to admit, my friend Leslie got me one of the um, a, a kit. Uh, uh, it's I don't know what it's called, a tasting kit. It, it, so it tells you it, it's got all the flavors of wine, but it's not wine, right? It's like these little tiny vials that you're supposed to place on your tongue, kind of like what you're doing with the bitters, but mm-hmm. you 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 place it on your tongue so you know what what is what does bitter taste like and what what is vanilla and what is you know all of the all of those flavors. And I probably still have it somewhere because I used it once and I couldn't distinguish a lot of them from each other. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether that means I'm a bad flavorer <laughs> uh, or that the kit was shit. Well, I'm going to say I'm going to say it later. Sure. Ladder. Ladder. Uh, I have to say this is a much better Manhattan than the first one. I think um, literally and actually giving some thought to what you're putting in your glass <laughs> probably probably pays off in the end. Well, and that's what we were saying, right? It's like you mm-hmm. you can make the same recipe with various ingredients and it'll be varying levels of excellence. It's uh it's it's funny that you drink a lot of aviations to me cuz aviation is not sort of a standard drink that people have a lot of. But I love them. Well, and I I think I'm I I think we're just speaking to like how fancy we are cuz like I have a lot of boulevardiers. Mhm. And I don't know that many people who even know what that is. I, I do have one friend that the Boulevardier is her sort of test drink for a new bar. Yeah. Which made me very proud. Yeah, my friend Ben uh, uses the aviation as, as his bar test. Mm-hmm. Because it, you know, it, it does take some balance. You don't want to be, it doesn't want to be too sweet. You don't want to be too sour. The gin matters. Yeah. Um, so he figures if they can make a good aviation, and they know what it is without having having to explain it. Right. It's a good bar. Right. That's the first test, right? Order something a little esoteric and not have to explain it. Yes. Even even a step further back from that is to order something like a Manhattan and have them not shake it with ice from the crazy ice machine. Yeah, I, I guess I, I, my first test is to look behind the bar to see what they have available. You know, mm-hmm. what, what bottles do they have? Um, and if uh, generally, if if, it's, if there's a bottle I've never, I'm not familiar with, then I think that's a good sign. Right. First off, yep, could be shit. I don't know, but I'm I'm pretty well versed in what's out there. So if I see something new, I'm interested. Like, why do you have that behind the bar? Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think I have a a cocktail test. If there's time i always leave it up to the bartender right you like give them an idea of what you want and see what they give you mm-hmm. if if they bring back a martini and the martini shit then yeah that's not your bar 
Right. But if they, if they like, if it's their personal favorite, like usually there's like, I'm trying this out. I really like this. Let me know what you think. Yeah. I like that bar. Even, even if I don't like it, at least they're like honest with me. And also they're, they're kind of saying I'm trying this. I don't know. I'm not sure yet. So I have become regulars at a couple of bars to the point where I'm friends with the bartenders and we have casual conversation outside of the bar setting. Mm -hmm. So for those bars, I hardly ever even order. (laughs) You just walk in and they're, hey, Jake, and there's a drink. Well, no, they always ask. They give me the opportunity and I just sort of wave my hand and like make me something. Mm -hmm. And they're totally cool with that. Because I also go to bars at, like, quiet hours. So, like, I'm I'm at a bar at, like, 4 o'clock. Yeah, yeah. On a Saturday. I uh, I used to be a regular here in the neighborhood at a place at Absinthe. Um, and uh, it was called Absinthe before they could serve Absinthe. But now right. they can serve Absinthe. And uh, I, I'm not a regular anymore. I think it's because we – there are so many bars in, in the city mm-hmm. um, that we – and I, when I say we, it's me and Dinah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she knows everybody though, like so she can walk in and she'll know the bartender or she'll know where they were or she can she mm-hmm. can um, acclimate herself pretty quickly. Tell you the lineage of all the bartenders. She used to work at this place and this place before that, and yes, exactly. And this is her specialty, and she invented this, and and then she she keeps up with them and she's friendly. And the book obviously helps that she wrote a book and right. that she interviewed them and, and took she, pictures she with them. Featured all these people in that book. Yeah, it, it's hard to forget. Which is and it's art. hard to forget Dinah. The Art of the Shim. It's a fantastic the the book. <laughs> really beautiful and a beautiful book, I think. It is. Um, it is. They did an, a beautiful job with that. Her and her and Joe, her partner, Joe, uh, designed the book. It's been one of my big favorites of recent memory as far as cocktail books go, which we've already discovered. I'm a compulsive collector of cocktail yeah. books her her recent project is that she's been going back through all of the classic cocktail books and trying to figure out measurements right because they they differ so greatly what's a pony what's a wine glass what's a wine glass yeah so she's she's been going through and trying to figure out what did they mean by this and uh, and coming up with this this is the recipe that they used at that point and and testing it out and she did find that and and this may not be surprising because liquor was probably very expensive but for the most part a lot of the cocktails started out as low proof right mm-hmm. they they were they were stingy with the liquor <laughs> and and using the other ingredients much more in a much more pronounced way right as opposed to today where you get the 5 ounce martini in the giant glass and yes you're you're soused before you even finish the thing, uh, which I think bears out her her idea of making what, what is a cocktail. It doesn't necessarily have to have two ounces of vodka or mm. gin or something. It, it 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 is about those other <laughs> the tinctures and the and the bitters and right. the juices and all the other things. So, do you know if she invented the term shim or is that something she, she learned? Did. No, she invented that. Okay, because it, it it is not recognized by other people in the industry. No, I just I just read another article and they called it something else. And I'm I was I was pulling I was pulling her card for her. And I was trying to uh, bring that bring the title up because I like it. A shim. I do too. It keeps you level. It keeps you level. <laughs> yes. So yeah, if if I were to gift a cocktail library to someone, mm-hmm. which is the sort of thing I'm liable to do. It probably would not include the Dead Rabbit book. 
mm-hmm. it probably would not include the Death and Company book, mm-hmm. but it would include Dinah's book, The Art of the Shimp, mm-hmm. and then it would also include uh, Vintage Spirits and Forgotten Cocktails, and then uh, Morgenthaler's The Bar Book. Those three mm-hmm. books. And why the other two? So we already know that you like Dinah's book because the, she 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 was specific about like, can you make this at home? Is this easy to make at home? So it is. It's perfect for that. Yeah. Why the other two? So the bar book is all about technique and it's enlightening. He gives you the shortcuts that people that have been in the industry for years learn over time. He just mm. wraps them in a bow and gives them to you. Okay. The Vintage Spirits and Forgotten Cocktails is basically, these are all the pre-Prohibition era cocktails that everybody's talking about. These are the recipes. It's an excellent book. It's really well put together. And then in the back, there's sort of an appendix of like, this is how you make a 50s style martini. This is how you make a Manhattan. All the, like, not fancy drinks that are covered mm-hmm. in the main body of the book. But, like, all the classics are okay. covered in this little appendix. And for the longest time, that was the only thing I referenced when making cocktails. Like, if I wanted, <laughs> if I, if I wanted to make a margarita, I looked in the back of that book because it had a coin-style margarita recipe that was spot-on and perfect. Mm. Um Speaking of, oh, wow, you did good. I'm still working on mine. We're almost done, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, so the, a term that I that uh, Dinah actually used at the place we were um, is uh, a Wisconsin old-fashioned. Have you heard of this, Wisconsin style? I have, but I don't remember what it is. So Wisconsin style means you put all the fruit salad in. Mm. So mm-hmm. it's yeah. So it's like the 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 the, the cherries, the cut of orange, and, all, and you muddle all of that together. So it, it's it's it is like so that I like that Wisconsin style old fashioned, which is exactly the style of old fashioned that nerds like us make fun of. <laughs> and that and that's what she likes, right? She, she yeah. likes all the stuff. And uh, I will I will credit the bar; they knew exactly what she meant when she said that. Excellent. Give me a Wisconsin. That's awesome. So just real quickly, since we're talking about Manhattans and we haven't done a best bottle segment, what's your favorite sweet vermouth? Um, My go-to is definitely uh, Carpano. Um, Antica? I know know it's overused and everybody's got a bottle now, but it's delicious. It's super Um, delicious. It's got a strong vanilla note. It mixes well. Uh, it it makes a pretty Manhattan as well, it's and not, it's and it's there. Like it's not so thin that it disappears. Yes, um, I I always enjoy it. I I have tried other sweet vermouths, and I always come back to that. If I want to do something interesting that people will notice, then I'll do the uh, uh, Chinato, the the, the Bar- mm-hmm. Barolo Chinato. Right, right, right. It's barrel aged, so it has a woody flavor to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that people can't quite place, but they like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'd be one of those, and that's a Torino, which I love all of Torino's stuff. Yeah, the uh, the uh, Coke Americano and uh, excellent. 
the the Koki Torino is my more affordable uh, Antica mm-hmm. substitute. It's, it's also delicious. It's not quite as bold and it's not quite as vanilla as the Antica, but it's got it's there. It's got that body to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think my day to day vermouths are the Dolan Rouge, which I use today, and the Noli Prat. Because that one's that one's like super affordable. Yeah. And it's it's actually really good. And it's in a pretty bottle. Yeah. It's got a nice curve to it. Shaped like a woman. Mm-hmm. Or an or a drag queen. Whichever. It's got that hourglass figure. Did you want to talk about mixology and mixologists? Uh, only to be angry. So who who was the one who was who was who was saying that was that, that was, was okay? That was that was Jim Meehan from PDT. Mm, it's too. Okay, this is just me talking. I am not a bartender or a mixologist, but to me, it's just too precious. Mm-hmm. You're a you're a bartender. You're tending bar. Part of it, and it's not just to me. If you're like, if you want to call yourself a mixologist, then you're like standing apart from the people behind a glass pane, and you're using your tinctures and concoctions, and maybe you're <laughs> mixing up something. You know, you're pouring these giant ribbons of deliciousness, and yeah. you set it before somebody, and then you disappear. Right. That, mm-hmm. That's your that's your job. The bartender is out front at the bar tending bar. Yes, they're going to make delicious drinks and they're going to. But they're also I mean, to me, the the bigger part of a, the reason you go back to a bar is because you're treated well. You have a good time. You got to chat with the bartender probably or share some like mm-hmm. uh, opinions about what they're making. And he got to or she got to make you something. And. And they're tending bar, right? They're they're talking right. to the patrons. They're they're out there. A mixologist to me is like, you know, they go home at night in their bedroom and they've got their bottles set up and they're and they have a a, a, a book that they're writing all of their things down and they're trying out. <laughs> with, I, I don't know. It just seems it's too twee. It's, it's you mean, too. You mean too a moleskin gross. address book? Yes, or? exactly. Yeah. You're are you a mixologist? I never call myself that. I I call, I call myself the stay-at-home bartender. I yeah, am, I don't I don't like it. I don't like it. Here in Denver, we have this fine fellow named uh, Sean Kenyon, uh, who was just awarded like America's best bartender at Tales of the Cocktail, mm-hmm. and he runs a bar called uh, Williams and Graham, which like two years ago was America's best bar at Tales of the Cocktail. He's a third-generation bartender. And he only ever refers to himself as a bartender. He could be one of the people, like, writing one of these pretentious books of tinctures <laughs> and and look what I can do. Because Williams and Graham is, a, you know, one of those over-the-top speakeasy kind of places. Like, you walk, mm-hmm. in, you walk into a little foyer that is meant to look like a, the tiniest bookstore in the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then they pull open one of the bookshelves and take you into the bar. Like, it's very precious, and it's very over-the-top speakeasy. Mm -hmm. But he is one of the most down-to-earth and, like, no-nonsense type of dudes, and he's a bartender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has one of the fanciest places in Denver. So what what does he think of the whole... 
speak have you talked to him about like why do we need to come through a bookcase to get to your bar why i have just walk in recently he's actually opened next door sort of a neighborhood bar so right next door to the speakeasy place yeah is this like straight up neighborhood like tv showing sports ball <laughs> kind of bar yeah you can walk in and get a beer nobody's gonna give you shit yeah I will say that if I walk into a bar and there's a TV on, I walk out. I don't blame you. That that's me. Yeah. Again, if if I'm if I if I'm being honest about the tweeness of the mixology, I'm also a bit of a snob about. Yeah. I so there, there's two things I need in a bar. Just just two. Well, more than. But these are what I look for. No TV. Mm-hmm. And there's got to be a hook under the bar for my jacket or bag. Oh, my wife is so on board with that. I mean, if I, so that's the first thing I do is I'm like, you mm-hmm. know, feeling under the bar and there's a hook and I can put, yes, yeah. this is, this, this cares about me. This they, knows what I need. They have to have the drunken octopus that wants to fight you. In fact, they do. <laughs> yes. And, and, and there's one for everybody, right? And you can hang your bag up there. You mm-hmm. don't have to worry about it. Everything is going to be great. Yeah. Those two things to because me signal. Who wants to put your bag on the floor? Nobody. Nobody. Who, who wants to like sit on it on the bar stool or something? Like nobody. That no. doesn't work. No. No. And you certainly so, can't just put it on the bar. And it's it, it's not a big thing, but it it again it's shows a attention. It's to, a detail. Yes. It it's like oh people need this. You know, you can have printed napkins, you can have special coasters, you can have swizzle sticks, whatever. I just need a hook under the bar. Yes. And no TVs. What about uh, music? Do you care? I don't really care. Um, If it's good music, I will certainly recognize that. Yes. Yeah. Otherwise, I probably ignore it. Yeah. Uh, There are a couple of bars in town where I've actually stayed because the music was the mix was so good yep uh one was at uh cafe du nord and uh actually um at um i want to say anderson cooper that's not the name of the bar no that's no (laughs) um but the the one where i had the bad drink had a really good mix of of music on oh interesting and all the time when i go to boxing room they always have good music and live music occasionally which was Mm -hmm. which is nice they have they have a like a a guy a couple guys stand up bass and a guitar yeah so it's it's not obtrusive but sort sort of jazzy type stuff a little bit jazzy and i i I appreciate that it's not overwhelming i don't feel like i have to turn around and listen to them or any of that stuff right um but music uh, i don't i don't want it too loud do you feel compelled to give applause when I they... don't feel compelled, but I do appreciate it when they're good. Okay. Um, so, so sometimes I, if I'm at a crowded bar and everybody's into their own thing and they're not really paying attention to the musicians, and I think the musicians are really great, I will make a point of giving them applause and like trying to get like look look what you're getting here for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is amazing. Do you know how good this is? But I don't want the I don't want the music overwhelming my conversation either. I don't want to right. be able to have to shout to, well, to, have, and you to don't, be heard. You don't want to feel bad talking to your friends either. No. Like No, no, no. That that's the worst. It's like shh. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm at a bar. But the but the speakeasy thing I'm I I'm I'm way over it. I don't care anymore. Well um, yeah, and so Williams and Graham was like the first in Denver to do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was significant. It was, it was a groundbreaker. And the fact that they have 
carried it on for so long is like kind of like meh. The other thing that I'm done with, as long as we're talking about things that we're done with, are bars and sidebars. Ooh, yeah. So I this has been a topic of conversation with me recently. Somebody was telling me about somewhere they went. And it was a like really high class bar mm-hmm. that had like a four seat mezcal bar inside of it, <laughs> like a closet, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like separate tabs and everything. Like you, have- yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and it's there's a bunch of the, they're they're called secret bars or hidden bars, and they're not secret or hidden. You basically walk upstairs, and there's another bar. Yeah. Why is there another bar here? It's the same bar. It's a bar. If you go, if you go to uh, the Tiki place, um, you know the one I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. We've talked about this place. Uh, so it's three levels. There's, a main, there's the main bar when you walk in. If you walk downstairs, there's another bar. If you walk upstairs, there's no bar, but there's seating. But it's all one place. What? Right? You go, into the, you go to the bar to get your drink, and then you bring it back to where you're seated. It doesn't matter where you are. And then you go to Bourbon and Branch. If you go to Bourbon and Branch, number one, if you go to Bourbon and Branch, you need a reservation. You can't walk into Bourbon and Branch and sit down and have a drink. Okay? Okay. I kind of, I kind of understand that, now, in a sense. Like, they're, they're trying to make this a special, like, uh, experience, right? Yeah. It's like, a, it's like a restaurant, but it's for drinks. They don't have any food. It's only drinks. Inside Bourbon and Branch is another bar called Wilson & Wilson. <laughs> so bourbon and branch double ampersands bourbon and branch <laughs> is a is just a bar wilson and wilson is quote unquote a detective agency that's a bar no it's not it's <laughs> and you can't so if you have a reservation at bourbon and branch you can't go to wilson and wilson you can't. You, yeah, you need a reservation at Wilson and Wilson, which you walk through Bourbon and Branch to get to. Mm, no. Yeah. Uh, no. It, I, I don't mind you being Disneyland, right? But if it's an e-ticket ride, I get to ride all the rides. Yeah. I I, I paid my admission. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. Stop. Stop this. This. This is it's insanity. And then there's a there's a there's a there's a bar on uh, or a, I guess it's off Valencia, which in the front is a dive bar, and if you walk through the dive bar to the back is the nice bar, and they have different names, and they're both good. I I don't, but well, stop that. We don't we don't need that anymore. Yeah. So apparently Williams and Graham opened in 2011. Yeah. So about five years. Yeah. Four years is about yeah. five years. Yeah, uh, so next time you're there, advise them that they're over. <laughs> they don't, they don't cool. need the bookstore anymore. Think of the room. That's like how, that's another table, right? Um, well, I mean, they would still have to have like the hostess situation, and there is always a wait there. So is it? So are you waiting in the bookstore? Like yeah, you can't actually buy books, right? No, <laughs> you're, just, you're just hanging out in the bookstore, waiting to get through the bookshelf, yeah. which everyone knows is there. Yeah. It's not surprising to anyone anymore. Right. It could just be a curtain. It could. Yes. Which yeah, is and you which can, is actually what's behind the bookcase. Like they open the bookcase and there's a curtain and you go behind the curtain. Yeah. But and um, PD, PDT still does that thing where you go through a the uh, phone booth. Phone booth. Yeah. 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 
So I'm, yeah, no, they don't really need to do that anymore. I don't think so either, but I also understand why they don't bother changing it now that it's, it is a thing and it's like, cause that would require construction and change. Nah. All right. As long as nobody else does it. Yeah. We're no, we're, no, no we're more, done. no more new speakeasies. No, we are officially done. It's over. That's, and, that is over. We have declared it. And the one speakeasy that I knew about in Boulder, Colorado, named the, the Bitter Bar, used to have to go into the alley and come in the back door. Um, they've given all of that up and are now just a proper bar where you can get amazing cocktails. Yeah. Thumbs up to that. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I think the, the case of the one we were at at the hotel where there was no signage outside, there was a side entrance, and then, I, I think that's more laziness than anything. I don't think it right. necessarily they were pointedly trying to say we're a hidden bar and we're secret and you can't come. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a reasonably new place in Denver called um, Union Lodge Number 1. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's right there, wide out in the open, but it's in the street-level floor of an office building, so it's really easy to just walk right past it. Because, <laughs> like, there's no street signage at all. All they have uh-huh. is, like, you know, a, a painted sign on the window. So if you're not, like, staring at the glass that's going by you in downtown Denver, mm-hmm. you can just fly right pi- past this place. No. I mean, I don't want everybody to be Guy Fieri. I don't think we need giant neon signs and seating for a thousand. But well, no, and and this place is actually really wonderful, and it's not like they're being twee about anything. It's just they're in the ground floor of an office building, so it's sort of nondescript. Mm-hmm. Just, in downtown, just by nature. Yeah. Like, it could easily be a coffee shop or something. And while we're complaining, I just want to say, I work down on the Embarcadero. There are no good bars right there. There are, there are hotel bars. There are really bad bars. The, the Embarcadero's, not, no, there are no good bars there. That's surprising. It is surprising. It's bad. It's annoying. But there you have it. I'm just going to say it out loud. There are no good bars on the Embarcadero. Until you get, like, you get pretty far down, like, to towards the bar the ballpark you've got your kind of divey bars that have been there forever like reds and mm-hmm. and the dive-in but i i really would like to have a decent cocktail bar so near when, my office. When, when you leave work on a tuesday for your tipple tuesday what's your what's your travel uh we i either come back to home base here in hayes valley and we roam around here because there are Plenty of places here and on Market Street, so, you know, towards the Castro. Or we'll meet downtown um, on the other side of Market from Soma uh, and more towards the financial district. And there are a lot of nice places there, too, either that have, like, been there forever or established. And, you know, they because for a while you could afford to get a place in the financial district because right. it was, yeah. Um but down down near my office, which is right near the ferry building, there's there's nothing. It's it's no man's land for cocktail bars. That's a crying shame. It is. All right, I I should stop. Yeah, we're done. Gotta go. Gotta go. Gotta go do something. Oh, I gotta make my bed. Yeah, that's my sexy life.
finish your laundry and make your bed. I know. So I'll have something to wear tomorrow to work so I can drink more. <laughs> this is, this right. is why we have jobs. Sort of. Thank you for uh, tuning in again. Cheers. Bye. Have a lovely evening. <laughs>